What are you two talking about? Oh, nothing. Just the end of the world. going on hey stranger yeah i haven't seen you in a while i don't know if i've seen you ever you oh mind, you mind if i get something off my chest sure sure what's going on man you know jerry yeah i know jerry yeah jerry jerry uh-huh yeah sure uh you know i stole 20 bucks from him once you you what and now he's dead he's dead he's dead why do you think he's dead he died how um, I think it was scurvy. You stole 20 bucks from Jerry, and then he died of scurvy. Yeah, and I think it might be related. And I know I don't know you, but I just wanted to get it off my chest. Why well, want I get something off my chest, too? Go for it. I'm Jerry, you son of a bitch. Oh, my God. Give me my $20 back. And I'm Clay. <laughs> That's not how we... I'm Grant. And welcome to... <laughs> Who pods the Watchmen? What what fucking trash? We're such improv kings here. <laughs> Was that worth the uh, $6 on Amazon? <laughs> you know what? I saw these little masks. Uh, hey, welcome everyone to Who Pods the Watchmen, your weekly companion podcast to the HBO Watchmen miniseries. Uh, we're your hosts, Grant and Clay, a.k.a. Jerry and Clay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I... <laughs> If you guys are watching us live on YouTube, you'll see that we did a really corny skit. And we're wearing these yellow masks because I saw, yeah, you can buy these on Amazon. Ooh, that was hard to breathe. <laughs> um, here's the thing. Yeah. It is hard to breathe. Yeah. And that's one of those things I keep thinking about with this show. Whew. They choose to wear those. Those are kind of awful. They're paid to. They're paid. You, wait, you mean the actors or the characters? The, the characters. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the whole police force. Can you imagine being, like, a cop? You already got to wear, like, bulletproof armor. You yeah. got to wear this big old heavy belt with guns and, like, batons and shit all yeah. over. Yeah. And then you are told, oh, wait, you also have to have this mask that makes it difficult to breathe. It's weird, though, because I've actually seen some police officers, usually around October 31st, um, and if they're women, they're wearing a lot less. <laughs> so maybe there are police uniforms that aren't so cumbersome. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I don't know. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, folks, welcome to, like I said, Who Pods the Watchmen. We are talking about episode four this week, the title of which is, If You Don't Like My Story, Write Your Own. Yeah. This is directed by Andrij Parikh. Um, you might know uh, Andrij was a cinematographer for a long time. Did a lot of shows like uh, 13 Reasons Why, Show Me a Hero. He did all of Show Me a Hero as far as cinematography. Don't That's a great it. HBO series. Okay. Um, but also directed some stuff like uh, Succession over on HBO recently. And, man, first off, I just want to say, bang up job on this episode. Yeah. Fucking killed it. Absolutely. Uh, then also, it is written by Damon Lindelof and Crystal Henry. No, Lindelof. Uh, Crystal Henry has worked on Chicago PD, or uh, Chicago Code, rather. Uh, Unforgettable, gang-related, APB. Unforgettable. A good pedigree there as well. Yeah. And I was thinking, this is some of the most fun writing 
and directing like in an episode. I had a great time watching this. This was like when Harry Potter got good, like maybe the third or fourth movie. Third one. Yeah. Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, so we're one late. Um, that was Alfonso Cuaron. And I think earlier someone had said like, oh, if you could have someone else direct. Oh, really? And I said Alfonso Cuaron. Oh, my God. Look at you. Man, it all comes back. I love No, I agree. This one was a lot of fun, and I kind of loved it. really reminded me, and we can talk about it later, but it reminded me of one of the issues, which was the kind of the reflective you know, issue, like the mirror issue. Um, do you remember that one? Right. We had, the, a, lo- we, we, had, we had a lot of those kind of segues in this one. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was just a lot of fun. It kind of brought it back to the comic book, probably on purpose. Sure, yeah. It was cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I wrote it down this time. I know usually we we try to um, give our own rough synopsis of yeah. what the episode's about, and I was like, I'm just going to read what they wrote as a synopsis. Oh, cool. Instead of me just kind of blathering and, and like butchering whatever the main plot was. Yeah. Here's how they describe the plot of this episode. Okay. Rec- reclusive trillionaire Lady Trio finally enters the stage with a mysterious offer. With Blake getting closer to the truth of her cover-up, Angela enlists Looking Glass for help. The Lord trains two new servants. <laughs> That's all it Whoa. says. With, he's described as the Lord now. Yeah. And, yeah. The Laird. I, Although, think, I think it might be Laird, like in Scotland. That's interesting, calling him the Lord. I wonder yeah. if there's supposed to be some... like He called uh, himself the Master. British, right? Yeah, right. The Lord, lords and ladies. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder if there's something intentional there about him being some sort of God figure. He certainly plays one on TV. <laughs> He's fantastic. Yeah, he literally launches people into space. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, let's get to uh, the opening scene, if you don't mind. Let's do it. Um, well, do you, do you want to do your whole thing? Yeah, where I want people to... can find us, who we are. We can do that. Let me let me go ahead and we... camera three, yeah. uh, folks. If you guys are listening to us over on um, on the podcast, uh, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcast or uh, Spotify or Stitcher, we appreciate all the support. You can also help us out by going and giving a five star rating, writing a little review that helps uh, other people find us. So please go ahead and do that. And you can also help us out by going to patreon.com slash who pods the watchman. We've been getting some new patrons. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't try to just take their money. I mean, if if people want to give us money, no strings attached, you're actually welcome to. That's that's an option there. But your tie clips do not buy themselves. No, they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But. If you guys pitch in like two bucks a month, five bucks a month, it's a great way to help support us. And we do try to give you guys little bits of exclusive content here throughout the week. You've done a you've done a bang up job. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll record some other crazy musings, theories, and whatnot yeah. during the week. Oh man, there's this. Uh, we were doing some video testing here in the studio okay. this week, and I was just sitting here. I was just supposed to talk so we could get the levels here while Mike was producing. And I just went on some like goofy tirade about like all these different theories, and then I started making up some of my own. It was just a bunch of garbage. But and that's now going to go yeah to our patrons. That garbage can be yours. Whoa! <laughs> For hot, the low, low price of two dollars a month. <laughs> hot garbage. Anyway, yeah. we appreciate all the support. That's Patreon.com/slash Who Pods the Watchman. Spaces in between? No. Oh no. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you can just look it up. Underscore. Now, uh, you can follow us on Twitter and uh, Instagram and all that as well. Let's move out of that. Let's mm-hmm. just talk about this episode. Yeah. Um, episode four, like we said, we already described the plot. I mean, described. Yeah, that's a good word hot for it. Hot takes. Hot takes. Hot uh, takes. Hot takes. You know I'm going to love an episode that starts with chickens. <laughs> you are a big fan of chickens. 
I'm a chicken man. My son works with chickens. I work with chickens. I come far. It's, you know, that's the thing, though. I'm a chicken man. Working with chickens, that's not legacy. That's not legacy. It's unless not your legacy. eggs hatch in mysterious ways. This but I'm a, a chicken man, and I love to see chickens, and I love to see chickens' eggs. Uh, I love to see them for sale. I love to see them purchased. I love to see them eaten, and I do not like to see them cracked. So whenever that man looked up, it was a sweet moment when he was on the stage. What's wrong? Did you already pour some for me? Yeah, I poured you a little scotch while you were doing your intro. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. I felt bad for stealing the 20 bucks from you. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, that was a. That, I just want to ask you, you know, A, I liked it because of the chickens. I also liked it because Island's in the stream. Mm-hmm. And what else did you think about it? There's first it was, it off, eggs. Eggs seem to be making quite an appearance, like every single episode mm-hmm. this season. I find that kind of curious. I'm not sure uh, why that's a, a repeated motif, but in one of the very first scenes we see with Angela, uh-huh. she's teaching Topher's class in the um, Bring Your Parent to Work Day or yeah. to School Day, and she's breaking eggs. Does that make the little smiley face Easter egg? We also see in the second episode, she's talking to Will. She has him in her secret hideout, and he's boiling hard-boiled eggs. Uh-huh. I'm thinking there must have been some egg reference in the third episode that I was not even looking out for. I mean, but eggs are making an appearance in every episode. Good source of protein. <laughs> good source of protein. Sheep. Yeah. Depends on what you do with them, but uh, some people, David Chang has described them as an everyday luxury. And sometimes you got to break a few eggs. Yeah. What, what kind of egg man are you? Um, I like scrambled eggs. I like a slow God, scramble, like a, a slow scramble. Yeah, like a real slow. You you t- you put that as low as you can, yeah, yeah, and yeah. like you cook the thing for a while, it gets really fluffy. I love that. Sprinkle salt a, a couple times throughout the process. Mm. You ever throw some cheese in there? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. Put yeah. some gouda in there. Fuck yeah. You didn't ask, but I'm an over easy guy. You're an over easy. Oh yeah. You like the you like the yolk. I like the yolk. I like that, too. I'm a yolk man. I'm an egg man. No, uh, so we had two good <laughs> things from that. I thought it was it was just, it was great. It was great. It's It was a fun, quirky intro. Yeah. And it leaves us with some questions. Some of my initial thoughts on that. They are the Clark family. Uh-huh. They are uh, living in small, rural yeah, Oklahoma. I know, I know, I know. I know. It was Obviously, a lot of super Superman references. Clark Kent, the Clint Kent farm or whatever, but it's a Clark farm instead mm-hmm. here. Uh, they don't have kids of their own. They're getting up there in age. Suddenly, there's a crash landing in their field, and a kid is presented to them. I'm saying those in reverse order, yeah. but you can't help but see the parallels here. We were also talking earlier about the the um, parallel of the Superman origin story with the very first episode with um, young Will, him being sent off in a vessel in a box by his parents and shipped out before he crashes out in the in the woods or in the fields. Mm-hmm. And that's very Superman as well. Right. So I think they, they love the origin stories of superheroes, and they've obviously played with some of the most famous ones. Yeah. But uh, they've done it well, so that it doesn't – I mean, this one did kind of smack us across the face, but it didn't, like, lessen it, you know? Yeah. It I was, mean, I, I don't think so. No, it was a, a cute – Loving family that yeah. obviously, and I just want to say this: whenever you say they're getting up in age, I mean they pretty much look like us, minus the awful sunburn I got today at a mac and cheese festival. Just want to remind everybody: <laughs> before you go to a mac and cheese festival, camera one, burn face. <laughs> yeah, this is. There's nothing wrong with the camera here. There's something wrong with my lack of SPF. So uh, fair. Yeah, 
Um, well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it just seemed like the... I thought maybe I'd peg him around like 40s. You that's, thought that, That's still not getting up in age, but yeah. It's when they, they start saying... Anyway, pretty interesting. Okay, fair and, enough. <laughs> and whenever you saw that the eggs were $2 a dozen, did you think this was back in the day? And or was it? Because the daughter was the one who kind of made sure the timing was right. So it wasn't back in the day. I... I thought maybe it was a little bit of a flashback, given that we've seen a lot of these flashbacks. But no more than like a few months. It could potentially still be a flashback. We don't know what crashed and when it exactly crashed. No, no, I know, but it wasn't It wasn't like 10, 20 years ago. I mean, because whenever yes, you see a exactly. dozen eggs for $2, you're thinking, oh, this is not now. <laughs> right? That's a, that's a great deal. Yeah. But they even even at that price, they can't seem to sell these eggs. There's just nobody there, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, um... We don't know what's going on, and I just and that's going to bring me to like one of my bigger points. And can I say it right now? One mm-hmm. of my bigger questions is: Is there too much going on? Like, as a viewer, is there too much going on? Because you know, we do our categories, or at least we try to. Yeah. Right. We try to stick to at least some of them, and one of them is who done it, right? Who killed the police chief? And my answer was: Do we care? Have we actually thought about it at all? There's too much going on, and it's making me crazy. It's like Lost, but at least in Lost, I knew we had, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, a thousand seasons. This, we have nine episodes. It's like the last season of Game of Thrones. We can't wrap this shit up. <laughs> yes and no. Last week, they, de- they did the brick joke, and I think there was something very intentional with that. They said, hey, it's like a magic trick in a way, is it not? We're going to set up a part of a storyline, and then we're going to move into a whole bunch of other storylines and kind of lose track of that first one so that when we return to it, it'll hit you like a brick. No, I know, and I hope it does because I need to be hit right now. I am pretty trusting in Lindelof already. I, I don't I don't begrudge the guy for the way Lost was. In fact, I I tout it. I, I mean, love how Lost me, me too. shaped up. Yeah, me and too. I think that a lot of lessons were learned in the transition to Leftovers and how he told stories through that and how he works with a team that wants to make things tight and contained and address questions. And, you know, it's like we could have lingered for a couple episodes wondering about whether whether or not Trio is actually working with Will uh, Reeves. But, well, no, they, like, fucking, she just, no, like, no, no. says, like, hey, that, he wants his pillbacks in Vietnamese. That was cool. That was great. That was great. But, you know, look, in fairness, the Leftovers – the whole idea was, yeah, something happened. We're going to explore it. But actually, who cares if we ever find out? Because the whole thing is about the emotional fallout. Mm-hmm. This actually, there is a whodunit. We we actually have to find out the answer to this. Right. Right. And I'm not freaking out. Well, I should actually not be having coffee probably at 10 p.m. So maybe I am freaking out. But uh, there's a lot going on. Isn't there? Yeah. I mean, now I think the answer is that it's Hooded Justice uh-huh. who killed him. Uh-huh. But it's also Lady Trio. Uh-huh. It's a conspiracy. He even says there's a vast conspiracy af- at foot. Oh, it's almost afoot. like there's like nine people on a train, and they each had their reasons for killing the man. Yeah. And then the okay. It's a it's a who done it, and in a way, aren't we all guilty of killing him? Audience, uh, don't put that on me right now. I've got too much on my plate. <laughs> got too much emotional baggage. <laughs> Maybe not you. What was your initial impression seeing Lady True? Uh, I thought Spock from Voyage Home. Okay, I said <laughs> all white Vulcan just got back from shopping at Whole Foods and now listening to a TED talk before going to pick up the kids from Lacrosse. <laughs> also, she, she is a Palo Alto. Very, uh, very appropriate. She's a Silicon Valley mom that I knew all too well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I thought she's very, very fascinating. I think the the choice of white yeah. is very comic book iconic in her her outfit. She's obviously playing. It's a successor to Adrian Veidt, obviously, and it reminds me of the show Mr. Robot. Um, one of the characters on there is very fastidious and attention detail oriented. Like every ticking second of a clock is being monitored. And when she sets the egg timer down, she's like, you have two minutes of my time three or three minutes. Yeah. It just, it feels like every second is very intentionally thought out Yeah, and she's making the most of it. And there's gotta be something if, if her superhero name is lady trio. Okay. But if it's also the the watch lady or something, <laughs> clock clock girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was great. I have another question. Okay. The where like I call it the uh, Millennium. What was it called? The Millennium Clock. The eighth wonder or the yeah, first the, wonder of the new world. Right, right. Millennium Clock HQ. Whenever we saw that long, expansive white hallway mm-hmm. warehouse kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, was that from the Avengers whenever they were using it to go back in time? It's the same uh, no, set. No, I think it's the same locale. It, it could be. We need to do a side-by-side comparison on it. It's Instagram. a great building, if, it, if that's the case. I, I figured it could have just as easily been CGI. It's a well-used building. I guess. Yeah. No, anyway, I, I looked. I mean, because, you know, I've recently seen that because I watch things usually two or three years too late. It's true. And uh, it looked spitting image. So we have her make this offer. Yeah. $5 million kid. That's a great deal. You got to admit. Yeah. And, and, and right before that, she said, this isn't for money. And then so I was like, okay, the kid's good enough. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, for sure, you would sign anyway for the kid. But she tosses in the money anyway. It's like just icing on the cake because yeah. she wants to find that rocket, man, that launched, that landed there or whatever that thing is. What do you think that was? Can we, can we jump into speculation now? Is it too soon? There's so much like there's so much going on that it's hard for me to even focus on that. But yeah, we can definitely jump in on it. But I can't give you an answer. I want I want it to be a question you ask and then go first. And I can build off that and kind of pretend like, oh yeah, yeah. You want me to theorize? Yeah, if you don't mind. Sure. I think there's a couple different options here. It could be the landing of Dr. Manhattan back on Earth, although he usually just kind of uh disapparates like a like a fucking wizard. Um, but it could have been him. It could have been one of the bodies that Adrian Veidt is launching from his catapult. That's what I thought it was. You thought that? Yeah. Uh, and, and and she's got to play cleanup crew. But in a way, she seemed to have everything timed, was able to have enough time to drive over to the Clark family's farmhouse and anticipate exactly when it's going to land and make this uh, sweetheart deal to them. She's, That's she, not what a sweetheart deal is. She's working with him. With mean, Vite? Vite? Yeah, there has to be some type of communication. You think it's on. a collaboration? Yeah, she's trying she, to she's trying to get him back. She very well might have imprisoned him. She nah. took over his business. She might have been like, "Hey, I can offer you paradise. You can uh, have this this space." And now he's like, "I'm trapped here. This is fucked up." He, and I'm fishing babies out of the water. He, yeah, yeah. We should talk about that. He plucked her from obscurity. He found promise in her, potential, and he said. I I know that this is what's going to happen. I'm going to get trapped in this other parallel dimension or whatever far away, and I need you to run the company, take care of my patents, take care of my inventions, and we're going to work together to get me back. She was working as a waitress at a cocktail bar. Yeah. That kind of thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, Not he made five. her. 
<laughs> little Dolly Parton. Nah, nah. I don't I don't buy that. You I don't think, think she, so? I think she's as brilliant as him. Well, I'm not saying she's not. And I think that she's outwitted him. And he's oh, trying really? to reclaim it. Weren't you talking about we're gonna okay, we're gonna get into what you're talking about about what's going on with his plot in a little bit. But let's jump back to this. So she makes this this bid, she gets the uh, she gets the plot of land, the 40 acres. I'm sure 40 was also intentional. 40 acres and a mule kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And she now owns whatever landed there. We don't know when exactly this happened. But this is our first introduction to her. And yeah, already right off the bat, I was like, very fascinating character. Yeah, I'm I'm on board with how she's interacting with this world, her her control of, of the situation. She seems very powerful and very scary, very intimidating, which it seems like this show has been um, kind of ramping up on its powerful and intimidating female characters. Like yeah. you have you have Sister Knight, who is is a very intimidating, power powerful uh, warrior superhero yeah. who's operating in Tulsa, and then next level Topher. Uh, Topher, of course, but not a lady. Um, but you have Agent Blake come in, and she's got more power, more authority. Being FBI, she knows her secret identity, and she touts that nonstop, almost or intentionally teasing her. Yeah. Um, and then you have Lady Trio, who's got fuck you money. She's a trillionaire. Yeah. And she just casually drops that. Oh, it's actually trillionaire. Yeah. Yeah. NBD. Yeah, and. Like each each one more successively like powerful and and scary and could destroy you. You've got to be a real jerk off, by the way, to correct people on that. <laughs> that that it's it's a trillionaire. Yeah, could you imagine? It's like, oh, okay, good good for you. Like like, what do you do at that point? Wow, you 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 have to brag even more. So. Like, cool story, bro. Yeah. Do yeah. you do you know what's going on with you, our classes? You pay right even now? less in taxes. Cool, good for you. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. So I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, let's go ahead and jump past that, though. I thought it was a great intro. Um, we, oh, we see her assistant, who's her daughter. Yeah. And she, you mentioned a couple weeks ago, we saw her on the steps of the cultural center. Right. Walking down the stairs. And right. you said she looked like Evie from, I told from you. Leftovers. Yeah. She totally does. I know. I told With you. The, the glasses. glasses. Yeah. But that was her. We must have seen her a little in advance. Oh, she was picking up the newspapers. She was picking up the newspapers. Right. Correct. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know if I saw her again. Yeah. I don't know if it was intentional, but yeah. I thought that was a pretty great. Little, and what's up uh, with, I mean, obviously we can chat about her, but what's up with the IV? What's up with the dreams? What's up with her mom? Not Obviously, I know her mom's not walking her back to her room because she is a Silicon yeah. Valley Palo Alto mom. Which yeah, she doesn't give a fuck. Just, ugh. But, uh, I mean, you know, when your kid when your kid wakes up from, with a nightmare, probably walk them back to their room. In the very beginning, she's able to offer these Clark parents the kid. Mm-hmm. Clark couple, I should say, beforehand. Um, that she was able to make a kid. She understands about um, genetics and able how to breed kids somehow. Yeah. We have clones introduced. Wait, I, I love the way you just said that. That was the most scientifically astute thing. <laughs> was it so basic? She, she knows how to breed kids and make people and stuff somehow. <laughs> or I don't know what she said. but Professor Grant's here. Don't can, worry. I, can, can I jump in really quick? Because I have a little thing. Yeah, man. This was... So Kerouac, when he was, you know, we know Kerouac. Yeah, Jack. Right. 
you know, so he, he was really into haiku, but he realized that, you know, you can't take haiku. I mean, we do in English class when we're kids, right? You know, we're stuck to that syllable structure and everything. But he said, you know, I just want to do something that's that where we reduce it down similarly, but we're not we're not tied or imprisoned by the same thing, right? So we call them pops, so short little poems. And I thought that hers was just incredible. She goes, in anticipation of our negotiation, I took the liberty of creating your son. You just think of that in three lines. In anticipation of our negotiation, I took the liberty of creating your son. Beautiful. Yeah. Like, whoa, that was wild. <laughs> but I, it's just an example of like the writing today. It was so good that I actually wrote down a few little things people were saying. And I, I did. I don't think I did that on previous episodes unless it was just like really funny. This was just like really good writing. And that's an example of it. Yes. Yeah. I was nonstop writing quotes from this. Yeah. I thought this was one of the most quotable episodes. For sure. It was, it was one of the... It had some of the coolest transitions between scenes yeah. as well. So anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to t- take you off, but we, so she knows how to, to breed humans. Oh yeah. Create, yeah, yeah. create, test tube, create humans. We're jumping ahead now to why, who Evie's daughter is. And do you remember her name? Starts with a B. No. Um, anyway, Bien, Bian, I want, Bien, maybe? I don't remember what it was. Anyway, she is a clone or she's bred her but i think it's her mother i don't think it's actually her daughter i think she cloned her mother and here you want you want something even crazier no no what if her mother if if this shows all about legacy about family dynamics and tying this into the original watchmen what if her mom was the the pregnant woman shot by comedian holy shit and she, the baby inside, was somehow saved despite her being shot and killed in that scene in Watchmen. So for anyone who hasn't read the comic, a uh, comedian who is Lori Blake's father mm-hmm. uh, also knocked up a lady over in Vietnam. And then when she tried to uh, come back with him from Vietnam after the war, he gets all outraged. They get in a fight. She cuts him. He kills her in front of Dr. Manhattan, who just watches emotionless. It's a fucked up scene. Pretty typical. And I think it's a great example of why the comedian is not a good person and no one should think he's cool. Yeah. Do people think he's cool? Some some fanboys. Right. I think there's always people who are like, oh, comedian. Yeah, man. I'm I'm cynical too about shit. Yeah. But no, fuck that guy. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I think it's possible that when her his her daughter is talking about like Oh, I had this this dream about like w- being uh, held in camp and being walked across the fields or whatever. That's from Vietnam during Vietnam War. Right, she's, right. She is actually recalling what happened, and somehow she's bred her at a point where she can still have memory recall of her past life. Bred her. I think she's T- bred test tubed her. I think she's a test tube clone of her mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that would make Lady Trio. Uh, sister, uh, stepsisters with Lori Blake. Yeah, you know, I thought that was interesting. Just kind of thinking back to about uh, about the whole Vietnam angle, it was it was interesting when Lori said, "Oh, you're from Vietnam. Oh, small world." Regina King here is from Vietnam as well, and you know, it's like, yeah, but, uh, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, but also, you know, in order for her to be from Vietnam, 
20 or 30 years before, we just had to Agent Orange the entire country and destroy all of you. You know what I mean? Right. Like, we're, we're not all hunky. It's, that's not a cute history. <laughs> we're not all hunky-dory neighbors here. No. You know? And it was just a really uncomfortable. And it, it was it led to a sweet moment wherever they were able to speak Vietnamese. But it's also intentional on Lori Blake's part because she's an asshole For who sure. likes doxing every every superhero nonstop. Precisely. Yeah, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she speaks Vietnamese. Uh, in fact, one of my funniest moments from the episode, I think, was that one. I really laughed. I lolled. Was it? I, I lulled Clay. Did you raffle mayo? I, I I just got on the ground and just started raffle mayoing. Yeah, yeah. Your kids were like, Dad. Yeah, I was like, go to sleep. Or, I'm watching watch. Go to sleep. I'm, uh, Daddy's working right now. <laughs> this is work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that was, pretty, that, that, that was pretty wild. Okay, so you're thinking that that's her mom. This is my just throwing out a theory, but it's possible. In fact, think about Lost. And how many family, like, the relationship with Jack Shepard and his, his sister was actually Claire mm-hmm. in the show. But, like, she had to find out that uh, Christian Shepard was her long-lost father, too. And, like, yeah. he loves playing with family relations and, like, the big surprise of, like, people being related. He already did it with Will introducing in, in episode two that he's actually related to her. They could do that It's here. almost like he was of the Star Wars generation. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know? it's great. Yeah. And I think it's entirely possible. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, what, you, what do you think about the pills? Um, Obviously, people are listening. They've watched the show. They know more about it than me. They're better with names than me. Power suppressing? Maybe. Do you think he's super powerful and he's taking something that, like, actually suppresses his, uh, his superhero abilities? I'm not sure. He's hooded justice. He has to be. He, o- he obviously is. She goes to the cultural center. And gets an acorn in the most, like, unnecessary <laughs> but really fucking cool family oh, tree kind of exhibit. It was killer. I was like, really? Yeah, you have a custom acorn that, that was like, so comes cool. Out? That was so cool. The, and let, let me just say this. Yeah. I turned to Diana and I said, you know, it's interesting that why don't we eat acorns? And she said, you do, but we have to blanch them so much, so... Native Americans used to put them in little baskets or something or cages in the stream and let water run over them for a few days, and then you could cook with them. Huh. I, I probably I, We're probably going to get angry. You know, I probably mess that up somehow. But if you ever wonder, why are there so many acorns? Why aren't we making sauce with them? They can make a good enchilada sauce, put them in a stream for a bit. Huh. Sorry, go ahead. That was, an, that was an off-topic squids moment if there ever was one. I thought that the cultural center it's called cultural center is that right sure um the museum it's really powerful like yeah. you like she walks in and there's immediately the firefighter talking about like uh, i'm from 1921 i was born whatever just year. a regular old day and it was yeah a regular old day and i'm like oh shit we know what he's talking about now because that's where they introduced the first episode yeah but then you just have this other figure who's silent he's wearing what look uh I mean, old-timey clothes, but also looked maybe like he was poor, and he's just, like, nervously putting his hands up. And I was like, fuck. I mean, just the holograms, like, all the things they're doing. And then the scariest fucking thing, the KKK yeah. uh, robes just pop up as she's walking by, and she's, like, unfazed. With but, the fire, you know? But clearly that's not only part of that history, but it's the ghost of, of what she's currently, like, trying to investigate yeah. popping up and haunting her, too. Yeah. Um, and wanting to really well shot and wanting to oh man absolutely and you know wanting to investigate it but also wanting to wanting it to stay away and not mess with her life right i think she thinks that for some reason her past finding out about it will only bring what what you're looking for 
Is that a guy in need of scotch? I was looking for some scotch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I had the cam. I I went to camera one, so it was on you. Oh, so I wouldn't say what I said. Yeah, yeah. you you called me out. That's Fair enough. Apologies. Um, you know, it's funny though. She seems to be really happy with confronting the truth in any way and every way she can. For instance, in one point, in one point of the episode, Topher says, "Ah, you know, don't worry. I didn't see. I didn't see him get shot in the head." Right. And you know, because Topher's trying to do the right, the nice thing, and you know, keep keep uh, mom from worrying, right? And then right away, without missing a beat, she says, "But yeah, you did." So she's okay confronting the truth and making everybody else confront the truth all the time. But when it comes to her family, for some reason, she literally says, stay the fuck away. She goes to it, has a beautiful moment, gets down on her knees, and the faces are overlapping, and they start playing the piano, and it's really beautiful. And then she says, stay the fuck away. So, I mean, what's going on there? It. Okay, what's up with this museum being so emotionally manipulative? <laughs> like, would you say it's manipulative? I, I well, it seemed to me like when they they talk about the family's history, and then they like, and now we will just zoom, we'll fade out the parents and linger on this boy. How do you feel for the low, the low ghost price of, of nineteen ninety five? No, it was yeah. just like, oh man, you know how to like, like plan in and animate all of this. To have the most emotional punch museum, <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I thought it was it was such a a deep moment where you have an expectation of what she might say, and to kind of pull back from that and have her be like, "Now fuck off," yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I was like, "Oh shit, that's good." <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's really good, and I just I'm just wondering, you know, again, there is something something's going on that we don't know about, and it's just too much for me. Right. I didn't even care about. In fact, I didn't even care or even think about the whodunit question until she then visits uh, our favorite guy in the bunker. Yeah. And why does he live in a bunker? Because of course he lives in a bunker. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, of course Wade, aka Looking Glass, gonna be in a fucking bunker. <laughs> yep. He easily is becoming one of my my favorite characters. He's immediately fascinating. He's endearing and charming. In a way, he's the kind of guy who wears a baseball cap indoors. Yeah, he's just a good old boy in a way. He's wearing a baseball cap indoors, and there's no sun to hide, to to you know he needs to shield his eyes from. He doesn't. He hasn't washed his hair in a bit, man. And he's Wait, wearing a, he's off. wearing a hat, and he just has a bunch of uh, pictures. What are those called? Photographs, not proofing. What's it called? Um, They're hanging there to. Yeah, yeah. He's a. Uh, I don't know the term you for know it. He's mean? developing photos. Yeah, right? developing. Right. He's got some squids going. Um, so talking about him and his bunker and he, and his relationship with the squids, he's, he apparently has this fascination with them and that they are raining from the sky and disappearing so quickly. And he wants to go take pictures of them. Yeah. I mentioned a little bit ago that I posted this video of, um, uh, your wacky for, theories. Yeah. Of the wacky theories up to Patreon, patreon.com slash pods a watchman. But there was this one theory that someone had posited that maybe, well, the first off, the theory is pretty fascinating. It was that he was at the fun house. You remember seeing the trailer where there's this fun house where a massacre occurs? Yeah. The theory is that he was in the fun house in the, in the house of mirrors when the squid attack happened in 85. And something about the psychological output of that messed him up. And the mirrors played this role in him, like really seeing too much into himself or whatever. But someone was like, 
what if he thinks he's one of the squids now? He was looking at himself during the squid psionic attack, whatever, and now he thinks he's a squid. Wow. And now, like, seeing him, like, his fascination with, like, developing him, I'm like, that that theory is absurd, but now I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> what a bizarre theory. Like, on a subconscious level, he does. I mean, he knows he's a human. Does but he? But he just yeah, doesn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> does he? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just... There's something so fun about this show that everyone has these bizarre theories. And then I'm like, yeah, I I hear them and I'm like, I want to discount that. But with a show where Adrian Veidt's fishing babies out of the water, fuck, fuck if I know. (laughs) And not only fishing, I mean, catch and release. Yeah, yeah. He didn't have a a permit for a couple of those. (laughs) He's just just tossing them. Uh, So let's, let's sit linger, though, a little bit on LG. I think that the dynamic i really appreciate the dynamic between them because there's something about the character that on first impression he's he's a country boy he's he's, he's a, a white guy in oklahoma he even says about judd he's a white guy from oklahoma of course he's a little bit racist mm-hmm. and for a second i think and yet angela trusts you she perhaps trusts you more than she trusted Judd. And so she entrusts him to, to hold on to the KKK robes. And I feel like that's one of those nods to us, the audience, that like we too can probably put a good degree of faith in the integrity of, of Looking Glass. I agree. I don't think he's ever shown us. I mean, he's been, he's been a part of a lot of that violence that we kind of now decry, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's everything seems pretty heavy-handed, and they're acting outside of probably our constitutional rights. But uh, you know, apart from that, which is kind of saying a lot, yeah, I think he seems to be a pretty trustworthy guy. And also, just kind of like when you look at somebody and you think, "Man, he's a good cop," you know, like when you're and when I say when you're looking like a cop show, like right. he, he's a good cop. You like he's, he was a good cop in a cop show, right? And so there is a certain level of trustworthiness to him because at the root of it, he wants to get down, he wants to find out and reveal what's going on. You know, yeah. whether it's good or bad for him. He just wants to know the truth. So he's a good cop. I think that when she presents the robes to him, yeah, and he isn't like immediately like repulsed or anything or like, what the hell? But he is like, huh, maybe it was yeah. his granddaddy's and he, it was a keepsake. That's like straight out of like the fan theories of like, or like what we immediately think. I, like, I, we're like, is there another like side to this that we might try and well, remember? Like, I think I said like best case scenario, worst case scenario. Yeah, and that was that was kind of the best case scenario. Slash also, it's not really a good scenario. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's I mean best case out of a bad bunch of cases. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, him kind of saying that, and and yet in a way, being a little bit accepting of like it's possible he was in the cavalry. Yeah, I thought it was kind of fascinating because like this is kind of in a way like you can't trust anybody. Yeah, and there's got to be that element to to both of them that they just don't know who they can trust. Yeah, exactly. Yet yeah. she's still willing to, like like you said, give him stuff. And because, I mean, hey, she knows him better than she knows Lori. Right. Right? So, I mean, yeah, you got to pick your side. Um, this I want to talk about a little bit about the cinematography of this. Yeah. This is directed by a guy who came from a lot of cinematography, and there was the transition from the farm as it's it's casting across the field of the farm, and then it does a fade in to the parking lot over top of the her, town square. Her, yeah, her town square. Yep, amazing shot. Yep. There was also this shot 
of the telescope yep. that he's looking at through, uh, yep. that Vite is looking through, that transitions into the moon. And how these so, transitions played out. And, and again, I mean, I think, uh, not to cut you off, but there's another one that I think is worth mentioning. And this goes to, I think, the throwback to that one issue in The Watchmen, which was dealing with the whole kind of mirror image type stuff. You know, and it kind of dealt with a lot of those segues that Alan Moore loves. So, yeah, you're right. We had the field in the town square. After that, we had the waffle iron going down and then the gate opening. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we had the sky with the rocketless rocketeer, as I wrote it down, and transitioning to the moon, you know. Right. Another oh. thing we ha- go ahead. And the trunk, right? And when she closes know. the trunk and then pops it back open in the next scene. I don't remember that one. No. What? So what was this one? Uh, well, what was she doing with the trunk? Right after she goes to LG uh, to Looking Glass, I call yeah. them LG now. Um, she she goes into her ritual. Yeah, which yeah, I'm yeah. loving how they show this like ritual aspect of like putting on the outfit, the zipping of the boots, the eyes the, closed. Yeah, the spraying, like all of it. It, it feels like this. This thing that's this element that's really intimate, and we're getting kind of this window into because she's preparing for battle. Yeah, yeah, but it's how how it's shot and how they they give this time and dedication to it each time. They they recognize that it's important to her, and it needs to be explained to us that this is an important process. This, yeah, this transition, this becoming mm-hmm. of another of a, a of a different person. Yeah, it's not simply just pulling on a mask. Right, like some people like like. Lazy looking glass, or, or, or like us, I mean. <laughs> or us with our little yellow masks. Um, but right after she does that, she's she grabs the evidence bag, the all the uh, wheelchair and all the stuff that right. she's Mr. Wolf yeah, from yeah, Pulp yeah, Fiction. Sure. She's cleaned the whole scene, right? Totally. And she loads that in the trunk, closes it, and then goes to the bridge, pops it open, and right. tosses it off. So she's getting rid of the wheelchair and all the parts. Yeah, and that was snazzy too. All yeah. the, all these scenes are just yeah. really snazzy. And another kind of mirror, I mean, this is all mirror, like, you know, what would you call it? Cinematography? Cinematography, yeah. Yeah. Another one kind of happened in dialogue, which I loved, and it was in the bunker. And she says, or he says, you reckon, it's you know, something, something, something. She goes, you reckon something, something, something. And then he says, looks like we have ourselves a reckoning. And it so was, good. It, it was, was so great. awesome. So it's, again, <laughs> that kind of weird symmetry. You know, which was that symmetrical thing that Alan Moore loved. So I, I loved it. Yeah. And and there was part of that line delivery that I like for a second. I was like, I was like, hmm, do I? Is that a little bit corny? I don't know. No, it worked. But then I was like, no, I love it. It worked. I, I love that dialogue. Just right like there. a lot of. The, and so another one we had that was kind of a mirror symmetrical thing was she's looking at the family tree of her extended family that a lot of them whom she did not know. I don't know if she actually she knew any of them. And then when she, right when she gets home, she opens up the bedroom and she sees kind of a family tree, her current family tree. And if you saw, they put a cow with the kids kind of splayed out on the bed asleep in a way that looked like a family tree. Ah, man, that's so good. I loved it. So I I was just, because early on, you know, I kind of keyed in, I mean, as you did too, looking at the field with the town square, we just had all this kind of symmetry going on. I love that. I was struck in that particular scene by her need not to just go to her bed, but to also go in and lay with Topher underneath Topher. Yeah. Because um, she could have gone and slept on the couch or something. Right. But yeah. as as a parent, I completely understand that feeling. She went and learned something very emotional about her, her family history. Yeah. You know, finding out who your grandfather is, who your great-grandparents are, after all this time of not knowing that that can be like a, such a profound emotional event. And 
she lashes out in a, a great, very Angela way mm-hmm. of, uh, now leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. But she immediately retreats to her actual, her current immediate family. And she doesn't want to go lay in her bed by herself. She wants to still be close to someone. That other bed's full. But she goes and lays with underneath Topher. And like they have this bonding moment. And yeah. it's just like, I'm really appreciating the, the level of relationship that's going on between them. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, felt, it just felt really important. Yeah, it did. It did feel really important. And I'm glad we had it. I mean, it definitely added something. I don't know if it added any plot, but it just added that kind of who is she? Why is she doing what she does? You know, and we have a lot of those moments. I mean, we have Cal, you know, I mean, while he tells them that, you know, God doesn't exist. It was still a nice family. Right? It was still a nice family breakfast. And, you know, it was so funny. She While she's kind of we have, you know, I always say Regina. I'm sorry, but that's just kind of how I think of her. You know, we have Regina and Cal right there. And she's kind of thinking, oh, you told him that? Okay. You know, and then he says, who wants waffles? <laughs> so, like, they've already moved on about that. They're, they're not worrying about, like, the eternal silence of death and without an afterlife, you know? Right. They're thinking it, about waffles. It's so funny. It's like, I you, you hear these people who are like, oh, man, I, I can't understand, like, how you can talk to your kids about, like, um, people having um, different sexuality or different uh, uh, genders or, or just like identity about that kind of stuff. Or vegan. And I'm like, I've talked to my kids about that countless times. It's fucking easy. Yeah. The more difficult conversations are talking about death. Yeah. <laughs> like that one, like my kid got really like uh, upset about this concept. And I'm like, I understand. I'm, I'm not religious. I would say I'm non-religious, uh-huh. but uh, I understand the the comfort and ease of being able to like be like oh yeah there's an afterlife and it's sure. really refreshing to see on TV a an alternate reality where what you think is the typical conversation is gonna play out completely the opposite that cow's just kind of like uh no nah, there he- heaven's uh, imaginary <laughs> just like so you know, dis- dismissive immediately in, in fairness too though I mean this is not a typical family. Right. No, no, so no. I'm sure they're I'm sure their neighbors maybe are having those conversations, right? A different way. But um yeah, it was pretty Right, wild. but they're they're all saying that like, oh, heaven is whatever Dr. Manhattan creates for us. Afterwards. No, ex- exactly. Yeah, no, you're completely right. <laughs> There's and, this whole other religion. And I'm thing going sure on that, that uh that affected everything, right? And the fact that squids are falling from the sky that right. had to play a role. We haven't really seen and that's interesting. We haven't really seen religion I mean, have we? I'm trying to think back to issues or issues, episodes one, two, and three. I don't think so. Well, and spirituality was obviously such a big deal with leftovers. Well, yeah, and I think it is a big deal with Lindelof himself. Mm-hmm. But we have Sister Knight, right. who dresses like a nun to right. some degree. Right. And when Lori Blake's in the car with her, she's like, "What happened? Did, yeah, yeah, yeah. did your parents get killed by a nun?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is a fucking brutal line. It's great. And she was having and, none of it. Yeah, but <laughs> it's like, okay, what is the what is the level of spirituality here? Is it is she supposed to be intentionally blasphemous? Was that conversation they're going on with about how their family shrugs about this idea of, of at least Christianity or most organized religion? Is that supposed to indicate a little bit more of her backstory and why she's Sister Knight? Did you did you take anything from that? I took from it on that point, you know, a substantive point. I don't really have an answer. Right. Surprise, surprise. I don't know. Um, 
and I got really distracted right away from the fact that uh, Agent Petey was in the back seat. <laughs> right. I forgot that Agent Petey was even there. I don't think we were supposed to remember that he was there. It yeah. was fantastic. And then again, we have, talk about symmetry, we have the same thing at the end with, uh, with Will. And he was there. Right. They 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 it like uh, surprising us. Yeah, it, it's almost like this Arrested Development moment where oh, like exactly. this like really fucked up conversation. Then it zooms out and like, oh, this third person's there. And it's like, yeah. Oh, there's okay. a, speaking of cinematography, there's a cheap trick we can do that the audience might like. We just pan <laughs> the camera thirty degrees. Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty hilarious. So you know, you mentioned you know obviously Lindelof a few times here. Do you think that the uh, the title was at all like a fourth wall kind of thing? Like, hey. I've heard some critiques. If you don't like it, go do your own thing. Partly, at least, maybe give it, me a ten percenter. Yeah, it had to. This is this is the fourth episode. Yeah. And my general rule of thumb is, um, give most interesting kind of shows four episodes. Okay. To prove themselves, I think that four episodes in on the wire, one can move past the fact that it's really slow pace and go. But it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And now when I rewatch it, I'm like, no, it's it was brilliant from the start. But I remember being really bored at the beginning of it. Um, and, yeah, four episodes in, I'm like, at this point, they've leaned so much into the weird that if this isn't your cup of tea, yeah. they have to be telling the audience, go fucking write your own shit. Or go watch his dark materials if you want something fucking expensive and boring. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I was not feeling his dark materials either. I watched that first episode. I'm like... Is this is just? Of course, this is a, the successor to Game of Thrones because it's also a boring uh, pilot, just like Game of Thrones has. I mean, you know, I'm not on social media, but I I want to be on social media just so I can post that an image from. Am I even saying it correctly? His dark materials. Yeah, his dark materials, and just say hashtag I'm in it for the animals, because that's the only reason <laughs> I kept watching on Monday was just to see animals. Fair. I mean, there's something Fair worthwhile point. to see an animal change in mid-flight or something to a to a marmot or whatever. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I'm better for the animals. Anyway, you're right. If you don't like it by now, and I, I wonder how many people are liking it versus not, and if people are maybe thinking, God, what the hell's going on? I had looked up previously what the title's in reference to, and I forgot. Okay. And I also forgot my actual phone and my laptop on my way over here to the studio. Oof. Um, luckily. Like a weirdo, I brought this backup one, but um, that had some notes I was able to pull up. Nice, but it's it's a little bit truncated. So, so do you, I'm did not you able have, to look it up? Did you have any cool kind of behind the scenes type stuff? Because you know, I mean, I don't know. I think people know viewers, listeners by now that I don't really do a ton of homework. I'm just the village idiot here, and you're my sensei. Uh, you're well, my guide. one thing I, as we were talking about episode four, this being episode four, one of the things I had noticed. I think is pretty notable is the wheelchair reveal yeah. at the very end. I, mean, I know we're jumping around a lot in this episode. There's still so much to cover. But at the very end, we have Will Reeves. We got his last name, by the way. Also uh, a pretty big reveal here because obviously he carried the moniker of Bass Reeves. He took that last name because he didn't know his own parents' last name or had forgotten it uh, at the time he was orphaned. And who played Superman? Christopher Reeves! Holy smoke! Oh, shit. A lot of Reeves references. They they love it. But also, I think that um, episode four, it's very significant, this idea that he's able to stand up from a wheelchair. Because in Lost... That was one of the biggest reveals, which I think was a huge hook for a lot of people in episode four. Walkabout 
was the episode where Locke, it is revealed that the wheelchair that was on the beach was his. They have this whole flashback episode, and I'm sorry. I am so sorry if I'm spoiling this for some people. Wait a second. There, and if you did that. It's possible. And that's I apologize. a cardinal sin. I mean, you have to be, you're a jerk right now if you haven't watched Lost by now. I feel that way. But if you're if you're coming of age and you haven't watched it, to any of our younger viewers slash listeners, that blew us the fuck away in a in a more innocent, naive time. Yeah, man. That was incredible. I remember watching that in college with you. Crazy moment. But I just love that. Like, it's it's episode four again, and clearly Lindelof has done another big wheelchair reveal, and that Will stands up from his wheelchair. He doesn't need a wheelchair. And Locke didn't need a wheelchair anymore. And we went, oh, wait, that guy was in a wheelchair the whole time. And the symmetry of these two shows. You know what's funny? For me, a lot of times when I see somebody in a wheelchair, I don't necessarily think they always need it. You think it's a a Stevie Wonder thing? No, I kind of just think, like, you know, you might need a walker or something, and you might need to put some tennis balls on it. I'm not joking. Like, literally, when when I see somebody in a wheelchair, I'm kind of thinking, yeah, you probably can't walk long distances, and you might need that because you're still recovering. Maybe I... I don't know. So when you see somebody in a wheelchair, you think you're in it for good. No, I'm, no, not not necessarily. But the fact that he stand stood up like so like strongly, oh, it felt yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't think like they were trying to say like oh the the wheelchair's optional. No, I know. When, I when thought he, it was be like it was a ruse. Yeah, when he stood up, I thought, oh cool, he's standing up. And I thought, oh, wait a second. I think that most people think when you people they see people in a wheelchair, they think they're always in a wheelchair. I got to be like that right now. So okay, woo, big time. No, that that reminds me. Uh, I used to work with this lady that came in one day and she's like, look at this picture. Yeah. And it was a picture from our, our school for the blind here that had um, this billboard outside of the school for the blind. It's like, welcome back students. And she's like, isn't that hilarious? And I was looking at it. I was like, what's hilarious? It's like, why would you have a sign? Welcome back students at a school for the blind. They yeah. can't see. Yeah. I was like, well, I mean, blind isn't like outright blind. Like a lot of people can see, <laughs> like, but they have vision problems. It's 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 a exactly. spectrum, right? Yeah. And so I was, I was just like looking at her. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, why is this like such a joke? Speaking of another uh, joke and bad taste, did you hear about how the city of Austin is allowing oh, uh, a lot of people there? They give them free passes to play golf for free, so they can exercise. Um. No, at the school for the blind. Yeah. Oh. But they always make them play. Um, Is this an t- actual joke you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> but they always they have. But they they're only God. valid from like 9 p.m. to you know 5 a.m. Because they're, 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 <laughs> they're probably better than most at playing golf in the dark. That's all I mean to say. <laughs> oh God, let's move on. Oh um, Lord, before we get in trouble, uh, no. So do you want to what what do you want to revisit now? Cuz we have a ton to talk about and it's confusing me. I do have a few little tidbits that I thought were interesting. Well, I wanted to jump back in where we left off with Angela dumping the bag of 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 um what do we call it? Yeah, evidence. Yeah. Uh, on that truck. And then she turns around and sees Lube Man. Cubes moment. There. Cubes moment. Cubes fucking moment. That was my Cubes moment was seeing the blind salamander across the overpass. It wasn't even when he slid into the gutter. That was cool, but really when you turn around and you see a blind salamander across an overpass, you so just, you kind of got to just turn around like even in their li- in their line of work in their parallel reality where they actually do see 
hooded figures and masked people all the time. In fact, she is one. So the fact that she can look over and see someone who kind of makes her think, what the fuck? <laughs> it takes a lot. I I love that she goes, what the fuck? Yeah. It was so perfect. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah. The whole scene. We were. I think she and all of us were thinking, what is going on? I almost wonder, like, if they made sure that she never saw that person's costume before then because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's such a good, genuine moment. She has a, a couple of great, like, the fuck moments. Like, mm-hmm. I think once he slides in, in the sewer, too. Oh, I just love the dumping of the oil. And How do you slide on asphalt? Even in a lube man speed suit. No, dude. Oh, God. You would get some burn. But it was so road, road rash, man. All right. Looking at that person, who do you think it is? I wish it was Petey. It's got to be Petey, right? Why would Petey do that? Why Petey, would he, how, how would he know the gutter system in Tulsa? Petey was, was waggling his Lone Ranger little domino mask, but you know he ain't wearing that. He's a... He's obsessed with superheroes. He works in the anti-vigilante task force. And isn't it all the sweeter that that guy is the blind salamander. Also be the blind salamander, a.k.a. Lube Man. I don't think people know the blind salamander is obviously famous here in Austin because it's in Barton Springs. And, yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. For people outside of here, they might not get the reference. But it's a blind salamander. And it was such a good, quirky, weird moment in a, an episode full of quirky, weird moments. It is. I was kind of thinking, like, is it going to be one of these red herrings that doesn't really add to anything? And if if so, who cares? Because it was super sweet. But I wonder if there's something deeper there. I don't know. And I, st- I still don't understand. Whenever you go down one of those gutters, because, you know, a lot of times you'll see cats go in those. Mm. Do you actually know what's down there? I don't. Um, clowns, I think. Clowns and red balloons. It. <laughs> that's what, that's what's down there. Oh. And 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 shit. So I don't want to know. Uh, no, okay. don't go down there. Yeah. But seeing that the introduction of another costumed character, I thought it was a lot of fun. It's really weird, and I yeah, I'm, I'm leaning toward it being Petey at this point because that's a tall, thin frame. It's either him or it's. Abe Sapien. <laughs> exactly. Like like Doug Jones, like who has that kind of build like those guys? And Doug Jones who played Abe Sapien. He's also uh Saru. What's uh, and, uh Star Trek? What's Gareth? Gareth? Oh, that actor <laughs> from the office? Google the British mo- office? Google Monster. Oh, Stephen Merchant. Yeah, Stephen Merchant. Stephen Merchant's could be also Steven, a fantastic could be one. Stephen Merchant. <laughs> the Og Monster. The Og Monster. Uh, from there, we move to once we get one little scene with Senator Keene when she gets off the elevator. And can this guy be signaling any more to us that he's a bad dude? Or that he takes all of his accent and visual cues from Coach Taylor? He, he does look a lot like Coach Taylor. He looks Taylor, a right? lot like Coach Taylor. I love and that. And he actor. talks like Coach Taylor. He was on Mad Men. He had this show very briefly called Lone Star, which was fascinating. It was this guy that was married to two women. And he like, and one of the women was uh, was Adrian Padalecki from Friday Night Lights as well. Oh shoot, okay. Um, but it was a it was another really cool show, and it was a bum bummer yeah. that that one he, went he's, up there. He's a greaseball man. Yeah, he's I, a greaseball. Like that, he like calls out her identity as if it's not a big as if he doesn't know any better. He, he totally knows better. He makes you feel dirty. I I would also put him in my camp as a really good contender for killing Judd. Yeah. Because absolutely wanting to start a race war, I I think that could also really add to it. Yeah, and he gets and he can pass more legislation, and he can kind of champion something, and you know, a little false flag action. Yeah, yeah. So they talk about William Reeves. We get the confirmation. 
that Will is William Reeves and from Lori or from the Acorn. Yeah. Yeah. And that he was a young cop in New York City in the 40s and 50s. Um, this is from Lori. Yeah. When she kind of uh, reads all this information. And being a young cop in the 40s and 50s in New York City. Folks. New York City. He's the hooded justice. Yeah. I Like, he wears the red and purple. Yeah. He's of the right age. They even signal to us in that little um, under the hood scene that the other person in the comic book who they theorize could have been it, Rolf Miller, they're even saying, oh, that was just a, a false identity. That person was a fall guy for, for mm-hmm. my identity, the mm-hmm. narrator saying. That's a justice. Um, and what we had to go off of was what Night Owl says in the, in the comic. And that guy could have also totally been covering for a hood of justice. Or, if you're like, oh, his skin is darker, we see that Sister Knight spray paints her, her eyes. How, how difficult is it for someone else to spray paint their eyes dark or lighter? And wouldn't that also parallel what's going on with her? Yeah. I don't know. I, I think there, there's a uh, lot of I, reasons. I'm just not excited because I, I agree completely. I just see it as a foregone conclusion. I just like it's that they keep, they keep adding these little details to kind of um, make it more um, digestible, this kind of, yeah. I mean, I, I would suggest it's potentially a retcon mm-hmm. to what a lot of people had in their mind as as canon for Watchmen. Okay. And I appreciate that, and I think it's just one of those things I always argue, that you have creative enough writers, the story can be whatever you want. Right. You're, you're not necessarily constrained. You, you make certain rules for yourself in this world, mm-hmm. and you try to fit within them, but even... Even then, you can be creative enough to bend rules as you see fit once you've established those parameters. Yeah. And that's the mark of great writers. And the show has great writers. Yeah. Do you remember uh, one time Hulk ripped Wolverine in half? <laughs> that was written by Damon Lindelof. That was the series that was written by Lindelof. Do you, or do you think Wolverine's healing factor can put him back together when he's ripped in half by the Hulk? And also, how can you rip adamantium? Uh, I think he ripped uh, at a joint between the adamantium, right? Okay, I don't know. And how, his, I don't his, know how anatomy works. Do we have a point in the our body where answer, there's no bone? The answer was yes, because he does put himself back together right. in the comics. No, I was just saying that's the thing, right? They always say like good superhero writing is the superheroes are as powerful or as weak as you need them to be for the story, right? You know, I mean, like that's just good writing. Let's go back and talk about Laurie. Yeah, and they've established. In this episode, if they hadn't already established it enough in the previous episode, yeah, that she is fucking good at her job. She's really good as far as being a detective. Mm-hmm. She immediately goes over to talk to Cal and get some information from him. She puts together that there's fingerprints on the door of her car and, and traces that to um, this person who had a wheelchair. She knows the wheelchair was up at the, the tree. She's putting everything together in such a nonchalant way, and it's like, it, it's and she's making people uncomfortable. So then she's going to then get more information when they slip. Yes. Yeah. And she does this all so well that I think, I think the performance by Gene Smart, I think the writing of the character of Lori Blake is all in service of making the character from Watchmen even better. Like they are doing justice to Silk Spectre now that I feel was lacking from the actual comic itself, the original comic. I thought I thought that she got a little bit short shrift. 
they're so different as to be unbelievable. Right. Like they're two different characters entirely. Entirely. There is no similarity between Lori Blake now and the comic book. I mean, other than the fact that in the comic book, she was the big spoon. In issue 12, <laughs> she was the big spoon. Right, right. But I, I think that with her being a a vigilante, like she was for so many years, and solving crimes, it makes sense that she would be able to so easily move into the role of a very effective detective for the FBI. And they've lended a lot of credence to that in what they've shown in just a few short episodes here. Yeah. I mean, and I'm kind of curious just to see what more she's going to find out. What did you think about the scene whenever they first kind of went eye to eye out in the town square and she's cracking up and then she turns around with the gun drawn. It was fantastic. It's she, it was such a genuine laugh of the absurdity of the moment. Um, And then the quick transition from that to, oh, but I'm still a very deadly person (laughs) with a gun and I'm always on guard. I don't take time off. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, it was was a cool scene to see. Gene Smart is is killing it. And I think this is a good point to take a a second and address who's your favorite performance in this episode? Oof. I know. I'm putting you on the spot here. There's a lot of great ones, but who was your – like it was – I think clearly for us last week, it was like, man, we both loved Lori Blake. We loved Gene Smart. And, and Looking Glass as well. And Looking was Glass. Was so good, too. And yeah, and that's interesting because he's getting like just really brief scenes. But he's so good in all of them, and he nails them. And, but I can't give it to him for this one because he was just in so so few scenes. Right. This is, this is swinging back to Regina. Or is it Vait's, uh, or Vait's uh, protege or successor? Lady Trio? I mean, she was really good. I would say it's, I, I think it was Regina just because she had so many of those sweet moments where she was kind of those the what the fuck kind of things. And the <laughs> delivery is so good. And she's it's just perfect. such a great actress that she's kind of earned the award. I act like it's an award and she like really cares. But uh, I think that Lady, is it Trio True or whatever? I don't know. She was, she was, she was wonderful as well. But I got to give it to Regina. What about you? Man, I'm, I'm so conflicted. It's between, uh, Regina, it's b- between Angela, I guess, and Vite for me. Uh, I thought the lines of dialogue uh-huh. they gave him, uh-huh. his his having to, with each progressive year, at this point, it's very clear, he even outlined it himself. It's been four years that he's been trapped in this prison. And how he's played progressively more crazy and deranged and a little off kilter with it. This is the black freighter. That's what we're seeing here. Absolutely. He's losing his sense of humanity. If he hadn't already lost it in Watchmen, when he kills 5 million people with a squid attack Uh or 50 million or whatever, Uh, I should know that number more effectively if I should, you know, feel the loss of those people. Yeah. But they're imaginary. Um, But I, I think that I would give it to him. Mm-hmm. For how he hams up those lines, just even throwing babies. I mean, it was inc- it was awful. It was incredible. the The words they give him, I just love how he chews in how he how he chews into all of that dialogue. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and yeah, that that'd be my that'd be my pick. Just kind of an old man. Since you gave it already to Regina, I don't have to cover her. Yeah, and just an old, just kind of like the way he, you know, if you see that on the script, goes on his boat. 
lobster fishing, pulls up cages of babies, discards babies he doesn't seem or doesn't see as viable or something, you know? Right. When you read that on the page, you're like, oh, my God, this could go so wrong. It could go so wrong so easily. But he does this thing where he's kind of pattering around like an old man who's never happy in his house, like, you know what I mean? Kind of like walking around and like, you know, getting the mail and then coming back and setting it down and then making tea or something. And he just does this great way of even even when he I mean, that was I know for you probably or not probably, but certainly when you see someone doing that, it's just disgusting. Right. It, I mean, at least for me, whenever I saw him just toss, t- discard the children, you're just it, it's it's really tough to watch. But it was I still it was funny. It was. But but that's the thing for me. I thought it was so tough to watch, but it was still on top of that. You know, it was like a, like a half and half beer or something where they're they're You know, they're, they, they stay <laughs> it's a little black and tan. Yeah, like a little black and tan. I have that disgust there. <laughs> but then I have humor sitting right on top of it. And that's a really rare moment for me where it was just so disgusting, but also so funny. Some good know? dark humor. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it felt like um, I don't even know what these creatures are supposed to be. They're like mandrakes or something. What's that that uh, one where you, you pull up the baby from the root of a tree? Thing yeah. Yeah, exactly. Thing? Yeah. And they scream. Yeah. Uh, all my references are from Harry Potter. I think. No, that's fine. So <laughs> what? A problem. What did you think about the um the 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 dining hall with all the like the the cult of lemmings gone 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 awry? He obviously is going on a murder spree. Yeah, and then he's able to just like start fresh. And but this was is... it a, was it because of frustration? What was going on? Yeah, he says something about like it was too early for you to give me this plate or yeah, something. You like... know, it was the horseshoe. He goes, I don't need it yet. Not yet. It's that damned horseshoe. <laughs> was it? That so what he pulled out? something to do with that horseshoe. He doesn't need it yet. Interesting. And, and they keep why. trying to give him a horseshoe. These, it, it gives us a little more of a glimpse into what these clones are. I've been calling them robots. You and I probably have been both calling them robots for a bit. And in a way, I don't feel like robots necessarily out of line. They're called clones as well by a lot of people online. But they're emotionally detached. They're not human. They don't have a fight for self-preservation like a human does innately. And even if you argue that they're just born, they have a degree of language skills and whatnot that are um, learned and processed quickly enough. Yeah, yeah. There's like an imprint thing going on. Right. Yeah, yeah, there's etching on uh, on the chip. In a way, it reminded me of Lady Triu's daughter, uh-huh. Her her daughter mother, <laughs> uh, but her, her daughter in that she's obviously some sort of not obviously, but it it may stand a reason that she's some sort of um. What's the word I'm going for? Uh, clone, some genetic genetically derived child, and there's also something weird about these kids that are a- able to be aged rapidly that Vite has this machine for. And I think that I think that there's some sort of link between the two in that they're learning new information seemingly randomly as if it's like beamed into their heads or something that suddenly, oh, they're going to be able to learn language or now she's experiencing this trauma of someone else in a dream sequence. I don't know what to make of that, but I, I feel like there's some sort of link. I feel like there's some sort of telegraph link between all of that. And this idea of eggs, of fertility, of, of, um, of birth and, and legacy, that they're, they're just trying to tie a lot of these thematically together. 
I think the eggs must be in some way linked to that. Why was she on an IV? Did you ever watch the show Venture Brothers? In passing. Well, he's got two kids, uh-huh. Hank and Dean, and his kids are disposable at, at a certain point, like they would die uh-huh. and he would just go down to the lab and, and make or activate new clones and read that, uh, download just all little, the information little, into them. Little Rick and Morty. Just yeah. Get yeah. New Mortys. He would just get more Mortys or whatever, which, Hey, uh, Rick and Morty's back as of tonight. So we gotta Is go watch it? that. Yeah. Season four. Okay. But it, it sort of reminded me a, a little bit of that. Okay. That they're just downloading new memories into them. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to make of all that. Yeah, that's fascinating thinking about, you know, I mean, I think you're completely right on with the fact that that is her that is her mom and she has some of these lingering memories whether it's in her genes or what that, you know, of her village being destroyed. Pretty wild. It's a possibility. Pretty sad, pretty wild. So, uh can I ask you another question? Yeah, yeah. Uh now we know that Cal's a bedwetter. Is we, he? We did have Angela ask, did you Not tell a literal. Her, did you tell her about your the accident? And when you ask somebody God. about if they had it, if, if if you ever say to somebody, did did you have an accident? Come on, man. It means they wet the bed. You know that's right. What is this accident? If if I if I tell you, hey, did you have an accident? You're gonna think, no, I didn't, I didn't wet the bed. Did you tell her about your accident? <laughs> what is it? What do you think? If he's not a bed wetter, I don't know. Why did they Why did they meet in Vietnam? Were they both from there? Did they have to escape? Did they run away? Why did they end up in Tulsa? You know, I have no idea. If she says she doesn't know her parents, they were killed. Was she a, were, was, were they missionaries? And maybe that's why she wears the nun thing. I mean, I don't know. I have no clue. I wonder if he also was a masked vigilante briefly. Dude is ripped. And did he have an accident? Did he have an accident like he accidentally killed somebody? Like the wrong Oh. Is that why he's such a good dad now? Because he thinks he's trying to atone for something? Is that why he's the perfect guy? <laughs> he, he's very good. I, I like their relationship a lot yeah. and how he, he deals with her moments of intensity, I guess. I mean, there's got to be this element of how can you be a ma- masked vigilante? How can you be a person who wears a costume and goes out and beats up people in the middle of the night like Batman and maintain a healthy family life, home life. You tell me. <laughs> how can how do you how do you do it? Shut yeah, the no, fuck but you up. know, so, so so often she comes home at night and he's sitting there on the couch by himself reading. So I guess that's how it works, right? They both like their alone time. Have you read the book Things Fall Apart yet? Yeah. Is it good? I mean it's what you read in like undergrad, you know? I I don't. I don't yeah. read. Also the I'm root, illiterate. The, you know this. Right. The roots also liked it. One of the albums. Did you think um, there was something to be gleaned from that is applicable to here? I mean, it it it's kind of it goes with the title. It's about a, it's about change. It's about change in a, in a tribal village and also a country and in, in the formation of a country and you know all of that with colonialism. Um, so I guess so. You know, I don't know though. I mean, obviously things did fall apart in Tulsa, right? I mean, with Black Wall Street and all of that, and things are still continually falling apart in society. And it just, how do people deal with that kind of change? And can, is there a certain amount of stress that you get to that you can't deal with, right? And we want to always avoid that. I mean, we want to avoid the breaking point. 
So are they going towards a breaking point where they where they will end up dying rather either by suicide or by or by death? You know, I don't know. <laughs> dying by death, that's great. You know, by <laughs> right. by being killed. Um, I don't know. I don't know. So, question for you: Who was yes. the next death? We said I I I posited Pirate Jenny. She's still alive and kicking. I, we actually didn't have anybody die this episode. We actually got a pretty cute scene with her and Red Scare at the yeah. desk, which I'm, was just like this casual like. I'm desk telling you, there, there's going to be a Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> you think it's gonna... There's going to be a Scare and Jenny. Scare and Jenny. Yeah. Little spinoff action. Yeah, why not? Little red and pirate. But it's cute. Them just like hanging out, like doing their beat. And it was it was awesome. We we needed. They a must be partners. And you're right. Yeah, for yeah. sure. They're so cool. Um, wait, what was your question about Jenny? Who, who's Who, going to be oh, who's gonna die. die next? And now that we've seen more of Red Scare, what's his name? Red Scare, mm-hmm. Red Scare and Pirate Jenny. I don't want either of them to die. Right. So I, I mean, I feel like everyone's so precious that I'm like, who? I still feel like Will is gonna die. I feel like. He is going to play a role where he's going to make himself valuable to Angela and then die, and that's going to hurt her. Because he talks at the very end about, like, in some way that he's betrayed her family, and we'll find out in three days. Or she'll find out in three days. And if it's that, despite her saying, leave me the fuck alone, that's just her projecting some bullshit. Uh She actually desperately wants that familial connection. If he dies and she loses that part of it without really knowing and getting yeah. to know him, yeah, I think that would be a really powerful moment. Yeah, I mean, in This Is Us season two, um, <laughs> we had, lay it on me. We had the grandpa come back and uh, and live with the family for a bit before he died, and I think it was great for the family. But do so you, do you want to see Will in the house, like in the spare bedroom, like b- <laughs> bunking with uh, with uh, what's the name? Uh, Topher? Yeah. <laughs> you always say, what's the name? It's always Topher. <laughs> Will, can you imagine a Will and Topher? Oh, my God. We've got a Red Scare and Pirate Ginny spinoff, and then we've got a Will and Topher. <laughs> no, because but I think Will's dying. Will right? and Topher would be so boring, and it would be a short-lived show because he dies, but they would just kind of wake up, like make PB&Js, and then he just dies. It'd be a, like a 30-minute show. Would you say that the person who died next was the clones then? That doesn't count. That doesn't count. Those don't count. That yeah. doesn't count. They're fungible. They're fungible. I'm talking about a, somebody who is around, and then when they're gone, they're gone. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more. We just got a t- couple theories to address then okay. before we wrap this up. Um, what do you think is going on, first off, with Vite, now that we've seen this new chapter, year four of his his escapades? And this is where I wanted to – I was going to bring this up earlier, but you were talking about some article you read where Lindelof talks about how they want to do – the portion of, of um, his storyline. I was. About the Wiley Coyote stuff? Not Did me. you not? Oh, this might have been when I was talking to Mike then. Mike Mike said he read some article with Lindelof where he was talking about how they shot all of the scenes with Vite before they shot even season, episode two. They got the green light on episode one. They shot all of Vite Okay. Um, because okay. they're like, oh, the seasons are changing. We want to shoot this out in this countryside before it gets too cold. Um, so we're going to write all of his scenes first, and we're going to do that. But also, they wanted some absurdity of the scene. And so, and, and I'm bastardizing this off of what I heard secondhand from Mike reading this article. 
so my apologies if I get this wrong, but they didn't want something that's like super heavy. So they decided like how they want to kind of portray what's going on with him is that it's essentially like Wiley e. Coyote mm. that he's making mm-hmm. all of these these contraptions to try and yeah gadgets and, and crazy stuff that keeps failing. So it's it's kind of funny and it's super surreal. So with that in mind, what do you think, Clay, about what's going on with him? He's trapped on this prison countryside castle. He has he's he fishes for bodies. He not bodies, seems, babies. Babies that he ages up in some aging machine that he has. And at the same time he has the aging machine. So these were provided he, for him in it, this realm? He has an aging machine and then he uses he doesn't have an MP3 player. <laughs> it's it's still he all, has a record player. It's still all very steampunk wherever he is. Yeah, I, I I was thinking that whenever he had like the trebuchet or whatever kind of thing, you know, I don't know if there was like a counterweight trebuchet, but when he had that, I was like, how did he build that? And obviously, if you have enough of your little lemmings, then you can build whatever you want. So maybe that's how he's building this stuff. He fishes them out. He starts a new chapter, and then he kills them all when he gets really tired of them. When he gets it, just it, yeah. Exactly. Um, I guess somebody just missed their line in, 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 in the play, and he just decided to mass murder them. But I, what was he? Oh wait, go ahead. Go ahead. I love the idea that it's um, that Adrian Veidt is a person that their mind can't stop, can't yeah. give them a break. So he's one of the most brilliant men in the world, but that means he's also constantly like this ball of energy of like I have to make things, I have to keep working, I have to keep striving towards something. And if he is presented with a paradise, let's say hypothetically, he struck a deal with Dr. Manhattan or uh-huh. Lady Trio, whoever, hey, I will give you I will give you paradise you can live in. Uh-huh. You give me your company or whatever. Uh-huh. Um he's going to be too antsy in that place of I have to figure out the mechanics of how this works, I have to escape. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. I, I'm and not sure what's what it going is. on. Are these people disappearing and going into an alternate universe. I mean, they're not like getting burnt or or hitting something like like it's not a biodome thing they're in. It's almost like another dimension and that's the that's the edge like a field of dreams. That's the edge of the cornfield or something, right? Remember one of your favorite moments from Watchmen when Dr. Manhattan makes the energy field around Lori because he had forgotten when he brought her to Mars? Yeah. That she couldn't breathe? Yeah. Makes an energy field around her, then suddenly she can breathe. Yeah. I mean, it's possible yeah. that yeah. There's this energy bubble around him, and it's also manifested to look like, uh, like like um, this castle side, or whatever. Yeah, like Scotland uh, or something. It's his vivarium, just like the vivarium he has in Antarctica. Wild. Just like the vivarium that Lady Trio now has yeah. this that that recreates Vietnam in yeah. her her domicile. Yeah, yeah. So all of this is related. How they're tying it in, how they're threading everything. This episode I thought was very. It was a lot cleaner. I didn't have any moments where I thought the links between this and the comic book felt really heavy-handed. I thought the cinematography, the the dialogue, the performances, I was loving all of it. I think it was really well-balanced. I thought the dialogue was clipping along really, really funny and witty. Right. There wasn't a lot of wasted moments. I didn't get bored at all. I think they made sure to go. And, you know, when we knew when the Vite scene was coming, and I think the Vite scene was a little bit longer. It becomes something that's like it anticipated. Was, it now. was really fun. Yeah. And you know, I think that whenever we had like the uh what was it called? The Black Freighter? 
Yeah, yeah. Was, was that right? Black Freighter? Yeah. I mean, you're, whenever that happens in in the comic book, you're like, oh god, you know. And if I did was if I wasn't doing a podcast with you, I would just skip that. You know, it's like, ugh, I'll just skip ahead. But, I think you did skip it one of the episodes. Yeah, actually, I did. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this is something though you look forward to, and it works, and you're thinking, okay, it is going to tie back in somehow. And I wonder if it is tying in now with the with the purchase of that land. Are the, some of those is is are some of those comets that are crash landing? I think you talked about it at the beginning, but is that are those the bodies? Are those the lemmings? She's been in Antarctica, or no, she's been in um, Oklahoma for a year building her first wonder of the new world, eighth wonder, whatever thing. And maybe it's possible that she has him trapped in some sort of biodome bubble there, mm-hmm. and he's launching bodies out of this to try and figure out how he can escape. But the, And also trying to alert the media. The video game parameters of this, this yeah. world he's in yeah. it aren't letting him. He's trying to find a glitch or something. Yeah. Uh, I have a few spare thoughts yep. I want to address. Do it. Before we... Do we do we hit our cubes moment? So I hit one of my cubes moments. I actually had two cubes, and I think that's fine because there's always room in the world for another cubes. Well, let me say, what's your other cubes moment? Okay, so my first cube moment was obviously seeing the blind salamander and mine from was across him, the overpass. Yeah, and mine was him sliding in the sewer. Okay. Uh, my second cube moment was the uh, tea or coffee mug with the elephant trunk handle. Why was that? Why was it my cube moment or why does it exist? Why was that your cubes moment? Uh, I thought it was pr- I thought it was precious. <laughs> you just really liked it? A, okay. cubes, a cubes moment is something that makes you smile. I saw that and I thought, you know, she has all the money in the world. She's living in this vivarium. In the middle of Tulsa, she is a, she's a trillionaire, as she tells us. Yeah. Yet she still thinks, you know, instead of just a regular mug, I'm going to have a mug with an elephant trunk. It's handle. a cute little element. That and it was cute seeing Will drink tea out of his out of his elephant mug. Props to the the prop designers. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Um, I wanted to mention when we have the reveal that Petey's in the car. Yeah. Yeah. And Petey gives a a downloaded history of. Of uh, Silk Spectre of Lori Blake, <laughs> right. um, it's it's kind of callous, like uh-huh. to the point where I'm like, shit, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, these are her parents. He his uh, her dad raped her mom. Yeah. And there you go. It was yeah. like that's that's one way to tell that story. Okay. Right. 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 <laughs> Especially with her in the car. He hit the relevant facts. But I like when they mention the Minutemen show that's on TV, mm-hmm. and he goes, "Oh, that show is garbage." Yeah. I feel like that was, in a way, a direct kind of diss of Zack Snyder in his his Watchmen movie. Do Perhaps. you concur? I kind of thought it was more like uh, Lindelof was poking fun of himself. Oh, maybe. Well, I think you're right, though, because, yeah, because this is a, this is a continuation of the show, whereas, yeah, okay, that's pretty funny. Yeah, that, know, like how that doesn't just like fit in the world. Or I don't whatever. like to think of Lindelof as a bully. So, you know, I don't know. But I like it. The, the scene with uh, Trio. Mm-hmm. And that she has these drones, like that getting revealed to us and answered like, oh, she has one of these ships and it was able to just pick them up and somehow they're able to like hear the conversation. Yeah. I thought it was pretty fascinating. Yeah. And it was one of those relief moments where they, they answer something and it's actually yeah. like very exciting and unexpected. I, I didn't expect that we were going to find that she has uh, a facility full of massive drones that are able to just pick up ships and fly yeah. people away. And drop cars right back in guess, front of other people to fuck just, with them. I guess they're just construction drones or something. Like, right? why did she drop the car back in front of Lori Blake? Was that just to fuck with her? I have no idea. 
Like, what's that no element idea, about? You know, and I mean, where's Manhattan? We've forgotten about Manhattan. I, I feel like he's. Do you do you think he's lurking in the background? Have we already seen him? No. You don't think so? You don't think? Because I had the theory that the clones, Mister Phillips, if yeah, this right. is modeled after Doctor Manhattan, that's actually him. That's what his original John Osterman body looked like, mm-hmm. is Mr. Phillips. Mm-hmm. So he's just a model decoy of the relatively unimaginative Dr. Manhattan, the boring scientist. And he's like, I can't come up with another person's look. Here's me in male form, and this would be me if I was a woman. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe that's what Mr. Phillips and Miss Crookshanks are. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know, actually. Um, and then I think that might be... The last thing. Oh, one more thing. Hit me. Trillionaires can't afford LASIK for their daughters? She's a fucking trillionaire. Yeah, but, you know, a lot of people are wearing lensless glasses because it looks cool. You think it was a stylistic choice? For sure. Okay. She wanted to be different. I I feel like maybe I didn't have to bring that one up, but I was like, no, what? I would get LASIK. But some people can't get LASIK. You're looking at them right here. LASIK. Dry dry eyes, man. (laughs) Can't get it. Also, I'm afraid of the halo. Fair enough. You're afraid of the halo? So we have episode five coming up. Yeah. uh, That means we will officially hit the halfway point of the season. Halfway through the episode, we will. Halfway through the episode. Accurate. Yep. But we, I I think it's fair enough to go ahead and say, how are you feeling about the show so far? I'm really enjoying it. Uh, Definitely glad we're doing the podcast. You know, it's interesting, though. I guess it's wackier than I thought it would be. And not in a, and not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. It's for sure wackier than I thought it would be. He's not doing the heavy-handed, nineteen eighties kind of pound your face type of thing that uh, a lot of eighties comic books did, and the Watchmen kind of did. He's doing a lot of really zany kind of wacky stuff, and it works. Right. I. There is some wacky stuff in Lost, right? Yeah. But this is. All the stuff that it seemed he had so much fun with in season two and three of, of Leftovers is clearly where he's leaning with us. Yeah. It's just, no, let's be absurd. And I have learned that the audience will will go with it. Mm-hmm. They're fine with it. As mm-hmm. long as as long as there's something fun and engaging, they will theorize their pants off. Yeah. And even like he's giving so many, I forget what they're called, but you know, you don't say directors, you say like what, screenrunners or something? Showrunner. Show the showrunners. Is that, or is that, so each person that directs it, so Lindelof is a showrunner. He's the showrunner. Okay. So he has the overall vision of this show. I guess I mean to say, do you remember in The Matrix, whenever you see the WB logo and all of a sudden it goes, and it was like uh-huh. the first time that happened, you're thinking, or it actually happened also with Space Jam, I think. Gets cartoony, you know? Uh-huh. You're like, oh, that's cool. Same thing is happening regularly with Watchmen where it's a different intro each time and it's just so fun. And when you see that, you think, okay, he's allowing people a lot of freedom and they're having fun and they're going and they're playing to their strengths. And that's why we get these like really cool moments and this great cinematography and stuff. Do you take from that 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 is maybe an important cue for us? The eggs are supposed to be really important this episode. The the film of, of uh, what was his name, Bass Reeves? Uh-huh. In the very first episode, uh-huh. that film was important to the theme of that episode. The typewriter, that letter, yeah, like was really yeah. integral. 
Yeah. And so like that's what we're supposed to take from each intro. It's like how do we distill well what is like most important? If you right? could say one word about this one, it would probably be lineage. Yeah. Right? I mean lineage and lineage is I mean they say it a lot. Lineage right? and legacy. Yeah. Lineage and legacy, right? And so you know, I mean, that's it. And also, I mean, chicken before the egg, egg before the chicken. I mean, that's kind of a weird thing. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Maybe with the typewriter, it's kind of like messages, you know, kind of SOS, like messages in a bottle. I mean, you know, I don't know. And who's going to receive it and what are they going to do with it? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been, that's kind of been what the Will. glowing buttons. That's been what Will has been to to Angela, right? Kind of this SOS, what are you going to do with it now that you have the message? And she would rather not have the message, you know? <laughs> she was, I think her life was kind of actually going okay. You know, she had her secret thing going on and her family obviously is a really happy, good, like, I mean, family, you know, she mm-hmm. has a good dynamic there. She has, she has like work-life balance. <laughs> she's doing well. And then all of a sudden Will butts in and obviously the chief of police gets killed and she's in the shit. So I don't know. It's interesting. What do you think? What, what What's more to make about the eggs or what do they symbolize to you? I mean, obviously it's, it's carrying through a lot in this episode. And as I was mentioning before, I think there is something about, Egg symboling, symbolizing fertility, symbolizing life, and um, things being born into this world, things leaving this world. We have um, deaths of Judd. We have this the looming idea of of death of other people, of, of a threat to the the structure of what's going on in Tulsa. Right. Um, and then we have these beings being killed uh, by Vite and then brought back and resurrected in some sort of vicious cycle because it's not deemed as life. And I think it's also like we, we talked about at the very beginning of this episode that he's called the Lord. Mm -hmm. And in a way he's playing God with these beings. He's killing them effortlessly. And then he's bringing back an Adam and an Eve into this garden of, of what he even called himself paradise. Uh Uh-huh. But it's now a prison, and if if that isn't also a metaphor for our planet, and we had a very atheistic message, but if we could have also a very uh, deistic message here, yeah. it's that there is this cruel joke of of this planet that we're on, yeah, and you you view it initially as this gift, this paradise, but there's so much pain and misery in this world, and and at a certain point, you might realize there's there's an awfulness to this reality. And that we are just playthings to those in power, whether they are the watchmen, the wealthy, or or God, right? Right. And I think actually the first podcast I did with you, I brought in that, that passage from the Tao Te Ching, I think, where they mentioned something like, we're but straw dogs or something, you know, to, 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 these, uh, to these spiritual beings. Um, let me ask you this real quick, and I know we're kind of running long. Sorry, that's kind of usual. But, uh, <laughs> we tend to do that. Yeah. What, what? So do you think, I mean, I'm thinking here, he, he does not have the technology to create these beings, right? So was it more that he was, and we know that he can talk with uh, kind of the Lone Ranger guy, right? Mm-hmm. The, 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 the Guardian. The Guardian. Or, right? Yeah, yeah. So we, was it that maybe he was, he was gifted these two people to kind of help him to do all of his stuff for him, right? Cook, cook dinner for him and all this stuff. And then they died. And then does he write a missive 
to to this groundskeeper and say, hey, what's going on? Or he sees it and he says, hey, if you need more, <laughs> just FYI, don't abuse this. But there, we keep them stocked in the pond, right? I mean, how? What is, what is his relationship here, and how does he have this stuff that he has? I know you mentioned it, but I don't know. Obviously, from the events of the Watchmen comic, we are revealed that Adrian Veidt has a little bit of a god complex already, right? Mm-hmm. He he thinks that he knows best, and he's going to, in a Machiavellian way do something evil in order to save humanity because that is his burden mm-hmm. and he must be the one to to solve this crisis if this pathology of sorts continues onward uh-huh. is it not possible that when presented with an opportunity of well do you think you could do better do you think that you could full-scale play God? Mm-hmm. We will give you an Adam and an Eve. And in fact, you can breed as many as you want and use them to your devices in this mm-hmm. or this alternate reality. If he's given this opportunity and now he's like, fuck yeah, I can be God. I can make a much better system than the reality we have. He has an Adam and an Eve. And now... He's like four years in. He's like, nah, fuck this, man. Yeah, I, I don't that. want this game. I want a cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, I just want to murder all these people. Yeah, yeah. His murder right there was the flood, right? And he yeah. just, that was uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. He's he's burning shit down. He's Completely. destroying all sorts of people. And yeah, I think it's all the more appropriate when we, when I see that he was referred to as Lord yeah. in that write up. Yeah. Really um, well. Anyway. Yeah, I think that's a we've rambled on quite a bit. This is a very fun episode. We do these. Very freshly, folks, right after the episode airs, so bear with us if we miss something or we fuck something up, describe something incorrectly. Just know that we have our heart in the right place. We really love these episodes. Well, yes, we try to. (laughs) And um, we'll be back again next week at 10 p.m. And regarding, and I know that you're going to keep doing some videos on Patreon for everybody. Hopefully we're going to get some maybe interviews, I think, lined up. I know that I'm going to start writing articles, which should be fun for kind of midweek release. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I think we're going to have some good stuff for people. Plenty of stuff over on patreon.com slash whopodsawatchman. So if you guys want a little bit more, if you want to be able to engage with us on that platform, we would love your support. Go over there and help us out and we'll continue to try and deliver stuff for you guys probably also do some other little midweek theorizing and checking in as we go along as we absorb stuff as we check what other people are kind of saying about the episode and you might do a charity auction of of your mask that you wore i mean i'm gonna keep mine forever as a keepsake hell no i'm not getting rid of this this is also my my looking glass uh oh yeah forehead brow wiper my brow wiper yeah so okay never mind take that uh, back But, yeah, we want to thank you guys for checking out this episode. We will be back again next week. I do want to ask a question. If anybody wants to jump in and slide into Grant's DMs, as I like to say. I know Grant. You know, people have done this. And they actually say I'm sliding in. (laughs) I'm not sure if uh, that's exactly what they say. But, yeah, people have have jumped into our DMs. Slide in and let us know who do you think is the next to die. I think that could be fun. And uh, if you have any other questions or anything like that, I know that Grant forgot some of his uh, gadgets, so we were unable to get to people's questions and appreciate those. It's always fun to kind of get those. And it was fun seeing everybody's Halloween costumes and stuff like that a couple weeks ago. Um, But, yeah, if anybody has any more questions, comments, anything they'd like to see us do, whether it's here on Patreon, let us know. Have a good night.